MWA is brought to you by Armadillo Podcasting Club. Did you know that armadillos are able to breathe underwater? But they don't like to because they're really self-conscious about their bodies. Plus, they hate fish. (laughs) I did not know that. For more armadillo facts and to unlock bonus content, go to patreon.com slash armadillo podcasting club. That was beautiful. Thank you. Hello there. You're listening to a very special edition of Muggles with Attitude. Today we're going to be reviewing the third movie in based on J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, we're going to say Rowling's from now on because she changed her name. <laughs> <laughs> she did. It wasn't that one of our listeners very gently and kindly pointed out that we were pronouncing it wrong. So. Yeah, J.K. Rowling recently came out and said that her name was pronounced Rowling all along and just nobody knew it. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Yeah. So, you know, thanks, J.K. We appreciate it. J.K. J.K., J.K. Uh, but anyway, I am Alice Sullivan. I'm Jeff Lake. And I'm Micah Sparkman. Previously, the gang gets attacked by a giant dog who drags Ron off under a tree. Turns out the giant dog is serious Black. Harry's going to kill him, but then he can't get his wand up for any murder but a DA professor. So (laughs) it turns out it's a good thing because Harry Potter is actually a good guy after all. Uh, Also, Lupin's a werewolf. Uh, Snape's still kind of a dick. And then we learn that wizards can do time travel, which they use to undo every mistake they made in the last couple of hours. Which, why would they not always do that? I don't know. They are always doing that. (laughs) We just only see it this one time. Everything we see is the best possible outcome for all wizards. From here on, we should assume that everything we see, they've redone at least three or four times. Mm -hmm. And they're just on their fourth pass. Nice. And that's it. That was a very good previously on. I was just going to read the Amazon Prime description. Oh, tell us. But yours was so much better. Uh, No, I mean, you're you're to tell us about the... Okay. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, 2004. In Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Harry, Ron, and Hermione return for their third year at Hogwarts, where they are forced to face escaped prisoner Sirius Black. I think that covers it pretty well, doesn't it? I mean, that's everything. If I were to try and sum up the book in one sentence, I think that's what I'd say. Mm, That's good. That's good. I would just say Harry Potter 3. (laughs) In the thirdest of the Harry Potter books. (laughs) Harry Potter and Harryister? Dot Harrier. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Uh, so one of the most interesting things about this movie is that it was directed by Alfonso Cuaron, who recently got a shitload of Academy Awards for Roma. How many Academy Awards did he win for this movie? Uh, for this movie? <laughs> Sadly, I don't think he won any. That's a major snub. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah apparently uh, there was a little bit of concern about using him because he had, be- right before this movie came out, he was well known for E tu Mama Tambien which is quite racy, but it turned out that J.K. Rowling with the homies actually really enjoyed E2 Mama Tambien, so that worked out really well. It's a good movie. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, he did start this movie off with a scene where Harry's hiding under a blanket playing with his wand, so... <laughs> it's not too far <laughs> off. It's not too far <laughs> off, yeah. <laughs> which wasn't in the... There was no uh, masturbation symbolism in the books, right? I mean, isn't the entirety of the series about masturbation symbolism? I guess I mean, you've seen the thing where they take snippets of Harry Potter and replace one with Wang. Right? <laughs> yeah, and it like Harry perfect. grabbed his Wang. Let go of her. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why they're called coming of age. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> so yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I just assume that whenever they're talking about the wand, he's actually talking about his penis. So what's a prisoner of Azkaban? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Prisoner of Azkaban. Did you know that Azkaban is an anagram for vagina? <laughs> I didn't know that. That explains so much. So Azkaban is like a vagina dentata thing, right? It's the, the prison that everyone's afraid of. I mean, when you think about it, those monster book of monsters, the monster book of monsters, I mean, it's kind of vagina dentata. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Everyone's trying to keep their wands away from the, the monster book. I don't see it. <laughs> okay, let's, re- let's rewind the tape. Yeah, we're watching this movie again, all two hours and 21 minutes of it. Now assume that every time that there's a book, it's a, it's a vagina. Every time there's a wand, it's a penis, Jeff. You'll see it. It's there. Oh, it makes perfect sense. Whoa. <laughs> so, uh, overall impressions. Like, how, how did you feel about this movie versus the other movies we've seen so far? This movie was uneven, and it w- it was less um, I don't want to say kidsy. It was less fairy taleish, less fun than the other movies. Mm-hmm. The other movies were super uneven too. It's just uh, they were silly, they were light. This movie kind of took itself a little seriously, <laughs> serious <laughs> blackly, <laughs> and uh, and I, I had a little trouble. I was a little bored, honestly. Yeah, you know there there. I feel like in the previous two movies there were a lot of like little like silly visual gags where it's like oh this funny thing happened to his face and we're like oh it's a fart you know it's like fart joke kind of stuff you know yeah. and that doesn't happen in this movie and it definitely it feels darker because there's the Dementors and the like the the escape prisoner and the, the the themes feel a little darker for some reason or maybe it's just the director's interpretation of them it feels like this movie was made well we know it was made by a different director it feels like it was made by a completely different. Um, production company uh, altogether a, a completely different set of people because like the script is more straightforward uh, the the sets are all different the costumes are all different the actors all look like they're 10 years older <laughs> and and some of the actors were replaced during this movie we noted right a, mm-hmm. a couple yeah of them. right yeah yeah it's interesting because I was reading up on it and Alfonso Cuaron was given a lot of freedom in a lot of ways considering that this was the third movie in an established series like um, I noticed that from one of the things that changed is that the characters wore like normal person street clothes a lot which they did not in the earlier books they're always wearing movies. robes right yeah in the earlier movies they're always wearing robes and like the girls had these really old-fashioned like knee-high socks that were replaced by tights in this one it seemed like the outfits were a little updated but also, like I said, there is more of a difference in what everybody was wearing. Yeah, I saw it in the sets a lot. Because they're the same locations, but the leaky cauldron was unrecognizable from the, the way it was before. True. And the castle was seemed like a completely different layout. The, mm-hmm. Just the way everything looked and the rooms were different. This castle had this giant clock that was sort of a theme that running throughout the entire movie, the camera was always swooping in and around this clock. Which was very cool, but I don't understand why they did that. Because time is a major element of the plot. Yeah, I think... Not, I, I, not up until the very end, I thought. Where they're like, oh, by the way, we can travel through time and everything gets really weird. Yeah. I, I think... I, well, I, I think Alice is correct in that it was probably the director's attempt to, like, insert the theme in, in, in throughout. Though it does feel kind of strange considering that's never been in any of the other movies, right? Like, they basically just, like, added a whole bunch of stuff yeah. to the castle. We and missed this huge fucking clock. You would expect in a movie that was doing that that 
people would be saying pointed things like, you're running out of time, Harry. <laughs> but seriously, you know, well, they, they don't bring it up things, until... Right? The, the turning of the seasons and like the, they sh- so showed similar shots uh, of different, like, of the same place during different periods. Yeah, I guess that just didn't jump out at me because the movies all take place over a school year, so there's always a seasonal element. That's true. But you're right, that was all there. Kept showing the Whomping Willow in different seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a lot darker, too, just visually. Yeah, different color palette. Mm-hmm. And there were some parts where I actually got it confused with uh, Guillermo del Toro, because like, the Dementors, to me, were very Guillermo del Toro-looking. They were mm-hmm. long and flowy and skinny and creepy, and yeah. they had the really long fingers that wrap around things. They reminded me strongly of the, of the movie Baron Munchausen, mm-hmm. the Terry Gilliam movie, mm-hmm. which had this... Skeletal death in long, ragged black robes that was always chasing around Baron Munchausen and trying to take his soul out through his mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, for for the things I didn't care for about this movie, I actually really liked the way they did the Dementors. They were very creepy. Mm-hmm. They were very like sinister, and every time they were there, they were just this, this kind of gross, weird thing. You know, mm-hmm. they did a really good job of making them creepy. Yeah, I actually liked the special effect they had when they were sucking people's souls and their, their faces kind of got... really. Yeah, I thought it looked kind of cool. Because mm-hmm. their faces get stretched out and elongated like they're sucking their faces into their mouth. Yeah. I mean, you didn't like it? It looked a little cheesy to me, but I guess I don't know how they would have indicated otherwise that they were well, killing them. Well, that's the thing. They're not... They, they, in the books, they weren't, like, yeah. right? Oh, no, that was my favorite memory, but he sucked it out. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the books, that's not what's happening all the time. Like, Harry's affected by them just because that's like a, an effect of their presence, but... In the movie, they were constantly doing the Dementor's kiss. Like, every time they were approaching, they were sucking people's souls out. Yeah. It's, it's what it seemed like, which mm-hmm. is a little, a little, you know, a little weird, but... Yeah, I, I think they did that just to make it more visual. Yeah. I think that's a good that. kind of adaptation. Yeah, it's probably true. It would be, uh, it would be a lot less... Uh, it would work a lot less well on a film if he's just, like, falling over every time Dementor enters the room. Yeah. So one thing I noticed is that the... They got Harry out of his normal life much faster in this movie than they did in the other movies. I yeah, guess they, there's not a whole lot less left to say about the Dursleys right now. Well, in, in, the, in the books, there's a, there's there's a whole lot more kind of slice of his life living with the Dursleys. That's you know as as the situation is evolving, how it's changing. Because mm-hmm. in every book, his time with the Dursleys is slightly different. Because in the first book, you know he's not a wizard, obviously. In the second book, they know he's a wizard, and there's like this element of like, oh, we. We have to be careful with him. And then the third book, it's supposed to be like, oh, we don't have to be careful. So, like, every year, it seems like his experience with the Dursleys is slightly different. So, mm-hmm. I think maybe that's something. But, yeah, they and this, yeah. Uh, they just cut it right out. All of it. Yeah, I, I think y'all are right. They just, they get, we get the point. It was just noticeable compared to the other movies, which I thought were very, uh, they went into those a lot more than I thought a movie would. Well, you know, it, it could be that that the director realizes that all the interesting stuff happens at Hogwarts, right? And so he's like, you know what? Yeah, it's true. That's what people are here to see. Yeah, they're not here to see him get abused by the Dursleys. Other than it was real kind of body horror uh, that what happened to Aunt Marge. Yeah. (laughs) I I was thinking the same thing. Like, compared to the way it was described in the book, which was a little bit sillier, this was kind of 
A lot of shots of her screaming face as she doesn't know what's happening to her. And she (laughs) floats out the window and away, right? Like, I think in the books, at least she stays in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Out into the sky, and they try and hold her down, and she's screaming, and they can't hold her down. And she just floats away. Like, what happens if she... Does does she eventually burst and die? I mean, like, what what happens if the wizards don't catch her in time? (laughs) They go erase the memory of Aunt Marge. (laughs) (laughs) She keeps going higher and higher and higher up into the stratosphere? Toposphere? Yeah, one of those spheres. Yeah. (laughs) Does not work out well. Yeah, the Tobo Chico. So that the was, Tobo Chico, nice. There was a, a large, much larger element of horror in this movie than in the previous movies. And that's one of them. That's, that was sort of Cronenbergian body horror. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of darkness, a lot of shadows, a lot of monsters and silhouettes uh, as compared to the previous movies. And I wonder if that's what makes it feel more grim. Yeah, grim. Grim. Yeah, right. It's grim. Because the grim is the dog. Hmm. One of the things I read is, you know how in the scene when the Dementors first come onto the train and you have the water that starts turning to ice? Mm -hmm. When Alfonso Cuaron was describing what he wanted to do, the visual effects people, he said that he wanted the water to turn into ice. And they thought he said eyes because he's such a weirdo. So they made, apparently they made something that looked super cool. But then he, they showed him like the pictures and he was like, no, I said ice. Oh, yeah. What if this exists out there somewhere that you can see? I would kind of love to see that. Yeah. The water turning into eyes. <laughs> They're like, look, this is, this dude, he does that fucked up shit. So yeah. just, just go with it. So, yeah, I thought they made the, the night bus a lot scarier than it was in the book. Yeah. Was it scary? I don't know. I, I yeah, thought it was well, like there a was a silly. Weird, I mean, it was silly scary, but there was a creepy shrunken head making jokes all the time, and Harry was getting like thrown around, and it was out of control, and he didn't know what was going on. Do you think the shrunken head was a little like uncool? <laughs> like, it's just like the accent and like the, the fact that it's like, it, I don't, it felt a little problematic. I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering if it was just me. And there in the, you know, there's the white. The white British colonialist. Yeah, with a yeah. shrunken head hanging from his... Yeah, I don't know. Wait, was Jamaica a British colony? Yes, but they did not shrink heads there. Oh. But the guy did... But he did have a Jamaican accent, and was it just because... Uh, did he have a Jamaican accent? I think yeah. he, he had some kind of accent. It was supposed accent. to be. He was Wait, doing okay, like yeah, Yaman. So, so the metaphor here is that the white guy driving the bus doesn't actually know what he's doing. Like, the shrunken head that he owns is doing all the work uh-huh. and making all the decisions. Uh-huh. But the white guy's getting all the credit for being the driver and presumably taking home the paycheck. <laughs> oh. I don't suppose that shrunken head's getting paid. Mm-hmm. Mm. I also thought that the, uh, the music oddly didn't fit for most of the movie. Yeah, that's something we talked about. There were a couple, like the, the, the score is still done by the same guy, but it, it didn't feel as... It didn't feel as clean. It didn't feel like it was well, like, well set to the, the piece. Yeah, it felt like kind of a bad TV show do sometimes where they just have some music that they just let roll over the scene mm-hmm. that doesn't really fit what's going on in the scene. It doesn't fit the energy of the scene. And it doesn't look like it was composed for that scene. It's just a piece of music that they played. Yeah, we even said halfway through the cred- end credits when the music changed, like, where did where did that music, where does that song come from? There are a couple places where it's really jarring, and you're like, what are they doing here with Yeah. This? I wonder what that's and, about. But yeah, it's not like it was bad music. It just didn't quite fit what was going on. Mm-hmm. And it, it played in so- as sort of a flat volume level. I still adored, though, the opening scene when they get to Hogwarts with the choir singing the mm-hmm. singing the Shakespeare. That was pretty cool, yeah. That was awesome. I loved that scene. And they even ended up using that tagline, Something Wicked This Way Comes. 
on, oh, yeah? the, on some on the movie posters. Yeah. Oh, okay, That's cool. Which yeah. works. It's appropriate. Yeah, that was not in the book at all, but I felt felt like it was a kind of a fun like environment set. You know. Yeah, I liked it. So, what did you guys think about the way they did uh, Dog Serious in the in the movie as as compared to like the way you imagined him? I mean, a match for me. Yeah, it looked just like I imagined him. Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought he would. I always thought of him as like bigger and thicker, like a. Like more like a maybe a mastiff or. I I was fine with the dog, but I thought that the werewolf looked awful. I kind of agree, actually. I did not like the werewolf in the. Yeah, it reminded me of the game Bloodborne, which had very unnatural beast monsters. They were intentionally unnatural in that one. Mm-hmm. But this didn't. It didn't particularly look like. I, I know we we already discussed that he he in the book he's just turns into a large wolf that happens to be like a little bit crazy and they obviously didn't go that way but I don't think he looks anything like what I would imagine any kind of werewolf like he's he's he doesn't seem to have much fur he's like kind of long and gangly it looks like kind of a demon thing I don't know yeah the texture was was I think what weirded me out the most Mm -hmm. it had this strange smooth texture to it I would expect a werewolf to have fur but it seemed like he was more of a skin thing yeah maybe they were trying to avoid doing fur because that's hard. Hard. Yeah, the CGI wasn't there yet. The dog didn't really have flowing fur, and the dog wasn't on screen very often. There wasn't yeah. these big hero shots of the dog. But things that did work really well, I thought that Gary Oldman... Well, I mean, Gary Oldman's amazing whatever he wants to do. Like, I will literally watch anything Gary Oldman wants to be in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought... I don't know how to pronounce his name. David Thewlis? Gary, Gary Oldman? <laughs> Oldman. David Th- oh, my God. I hate you both so much right now. David Thewlis, who played Ramus Lupin. Uh-huh. I thought he was really good. I think he was pretty good, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that guy's a fantastic actor. Every time he shows up, he, he, he's really awesome. I, I think he was even good in Wonder Woman, where he was the bad guy. He was Sir Patrick. He was the he was Ares, the god of war. Yeah, that's right. He was the villain. <gasps> Whoa! Spoilers. Yeah, spoilers for Wonder Woman. <laughs> even in that movie, and like it was a dumb character that he was playing, but he always does a good job. Yeah. I think that over. I've said this in like every other movie podcast we've done is that the the adult actors in these movies are just. Killer, right? I know they're Complete incredible. Complete A-list British actors. Yeah, the, except the for cast whoever is plays, great, right? Yeah, except for whoever plays Dumbledore. He's not good. Yeah, he's I don't. Good. I don't think the guy who plays Dumbledore does a good job. At the all. new Dumbledore, either one of them, either. Really? Yeah. I thought he was all right. You know, I mean, like I don't know. I, I think they're not showing him as having the sense of fun, but also you because he seems. I think he's played too aloof. Which makes sense with his relationship with a lot of the characters, but not with Harry. And you don't see any of that emerging closeness that they have. That's an interesting point. You know, like I always imagine, like in the books, I always imagine Dumbledore to have like a certain element of whimsy. Yeah, whimsical. I do not think this this Dumbledore in this movie is whimsical. No, he's like, yeah. He's strange, Mm -hmm. but he's not whimsical. Yeah. So maybe, yeah. But besides him, I mean... Yeah. Holy shit. Especially yeah. Emma Thompson. Oh, I was really happy as Trelawney, to see her pop up. she was good, yeah. right? Really? You didn't She's think so? Good. Yeah. She I so loved her scenes. She played her as a caricature of herself, which I get, but I don't know. I thought, it was, I thought it was a little too goofball, yeah. the way she played it. Like, she was playing it like somebody who expected to be laughed at. Yeah, mm. I mean, I think that's the way Trelawney is in the books, too, though, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that could be argued to be true, yes. Yeah. But but that's I mean it it, it is done in in a car, almost cartoonish way. Yeah, like with, when there there were there was at least a couple of times where she would bump into a table or something because haha she had the huge glasses and couldn't really see and it was supposed to be comedic and I thought it was unnecessary. Yeah, 
But I love Emma Thompson otherwise. Oh, for sure. Gilderoy Lockhart's former wife. Really? Excuse me, Kenneth Branagh's oh, former okay. wife. Same thing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait, so he was in the last movie and then she's in this one? Yeah. Weird, awkward. And then Maggie Smith and, um, oh my god. It's not fun to make jokes when you can't remember any of the names. Um, Alan Rickman. <laughs> Never mind. I was going to make a joke about Maggie Smith and Alan Rickman. The name of the... Who plays Flitwick? Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis. Yeah. You should make that joke. Oh, that would have been a good one. Oh, well. (laughs) Especially because Maggie Smith is like six feet tall. (laughs) It's it's always funny when they're doing Hagrid stuff because Maggie Smith is actually pretty tall. Yeah. (laughs) In fact, the actor who plays Hagrid is not especially tall, right? Robbie Coltrane? I think he's a pretty good size, isn't he? Yeah, he's big for a person. I think we talked about it before. Maybe he's a little taller. Mm-hmm. Oh. I really like the Boggart scene. I thought that was like a standout scene in this movie. Oh, his little like transformation then a yeah, the, thing. the way they they rendered all the different monsters, and then and then of course the kids use ridiculous to make the monsters silly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought they did that pretty well too. It was very effective. Yeah. Although I, I I mentioned when we were watching this, I think they kind of flubbed the whole thing with Harry and. And Lupin, because in the books, it's Lupin's supposed to inter- intervene before Harry encounters him because he thinks it's going to be Voldemort. Voldemort, yeah. And he says that in the movie, but if you like, in the movie, it's very clear it becomes a Dementor, and then Lupin jumps in, and it it doesn't make as much sense, right? right? Yeah, it already wasn't Voldemort, mm-hmm. so why did he think that? Because it's in the script. Yeah, I, th- and I, I guess that's kind of getting into something that I, I felt about this movie is I understand that when you're making an adaptation of a book, it's difficult, right? Because you can't have everything in there, but it felt kind of sloppy to me the way they the way they cut this story together. I'm not sure if you hadn't read the books if everything would make very much sense. You know, I the music thing I was complaining about that could be evidence of them being running out of time. Yeah, because they, they didn't have time to really cut the music or re-record pieces so that they matched the scenes well, and they ended up just sort of rolling music. Well, interestingly, this was the first two movies were done on a 12-month schedule. This one was done on an 18-month schedule, which mm. might help explain why the characters look significantly older. Although that also could have been just puberty, because I was a fifth-grade yeah. teacher, and I've seen that with kids. One day, a boy is, you know, short and squeaky, and next thing you know, he's shot up yeah. or something. Yeah. I mean, i got to say, these... The main three kids look like they're 20. But, I mean... Uh, I'd put them at, like, 16. 15, 16. They are older than their characters at this point, though, right? A little, yeah. yeah. I think they were to start with, weren't they? I don't they remember. They always cast people with child actor face, so they look younger than they are. That's why when they get old, they have that weird small face. Oh, I have another... <laughs> Aw. You know what I'm talking about. I do. Oh, I have a fun fact. Um, Alfonso Cuaron asked... Uh, the, the three main actors to write an essay from the perspective of their characters so uh-huh. that he could get a sense of who they were as actors and who they think their characters are. Right on. Um, and Emma Watson turned in a 16-page paper. So very Hermione-like. <laughs> Daniel <laughs> Radcliffe did like a page and Rupert Grint just did not do one at all. <laughs> <laughs> so very much like their characters. Yeah, it was That's pretty, pretty perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and Robbie Coltrane is six foot one. Okay, so he's, he's a, he actually is tall, taller than Maggie Smith. Uh, something I did think that they did, that I noted especially, and maybe they did this in the previous movies, but it didn't stand out as much, are the portraits in this. Uh, any scene that had the portraits in it, I feel like there was so much going on in the background, it was actually kind of cool. Like, I feel like you could rewatch any of those little portrait scenes 
and see something different every time because they the halls where the when they showed the 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 fat lady in the portrait were lined with these pictures and everyone had something going on in it and I feel like they're all kind of doing their own things which I thought was kind of interesting probably expensive to animate or maybe not I don't know but I don't they probably didn't animate them they probably shot them with just actors and like oh a, yeah you're a probably barrel right of costumes you know yeah. <laughs> I, I just uh, I feel like they they put a lot of work into making sure that that scene was just like a wild like array. You yeah, know? It was, it, that was cool. I overall the the castle like that that included the pictures all being fascinating to look at and the interesting new rooms and they they had this one awesome stairway they keep going up and down that oh, the yeah, spiral yeah. stairway yeah yeah just looked very impressive uh, cooler even than the castle looked in the previous movies which was pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. We, I think we we all commented on the the room where Harry's learning to do his Patronus. It's just like this wild room full of floating orbs and human spine candles. It's just like, <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah, right. <laughs> and like, there's mean, no okay, comment on that, right? They're I mean, like, one floating human spine candle, like, okay, that guy... You know, he's got a human spine and he uses it as a candle. But there were a bunch. Yeah. How like many the, spines do you need to light the room? <laughs> apparently a lot. Oh, so here's a fun thing. Um, Alfonso Coron's wife and their daughter were the mother and baby that were in the portrait next to the fat lady. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> cool. really cute. Yeah. Put his family in there. That's I cool. liked when Gary Oldman finally shows up in the movie because he's at 11. Right, everybody oh, else God, is at like know, seven right? to nine. And yeah, he's like all the way in the movie because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> he's not in the movie much. But when he's there, man, he's, he's got he, like, dialed up. Yeah, he's got a full movie's worth of acting in that scene. <laughs> and that wanted poster is intense. <laughs> yeah, like that, that wanted poster stole every scene it was in. I was like, <laughs> Look at this wanted. Like, poster. there's people talking. You're just like staring at the wanted poster, <laughs> screaming. It's like, oh, wow, <laughs> Gary Oldman. It's funny because when I when, every time I saw the wanted poster, I was like. Like he looks entirely too good looking and to be a you know a desperate criminal, right? He looks kind of handsome, mm-hmm. and then you know when he shows up, he definitely looks scraggly and and prisonery. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm glad they did that. Yeah, I complained about how much Quidditch there was in the book, right? But I wanted more Quidditch in this movie. Honestly, really, the one Quidditch scene was actually pretty good. The one Quidditch scene really drove home to me what a dumb sport it was because, like, literally nobody could see anything because of the rain. <laughs> yes, that's true. But yeah, Alice, nothing else mattered except for that guy chasing that that snitch, right? But, yeah. Well, what, from if you're on the ground, what you saw in that Quidditch scene was that a bunch of stuff was happening. The two seekers went up into the clouds. And then one came down sizzling, <laughs> and then the other one fell down unconscious. <laughs> That's right. That was the game. <laughs> game over, I guess. I mean, I guess for England, like, it's, it's, with all the rain and everything, like, that's a pretty good time. <laughs> yeah. What else have you got, For right? a lovely day for sports. <laughs> no, I think you're right, Jeff. It, like, in the previous movies, the broom flying didn't look very good, really. But I think they did a, a better job with it in this, which, you know, is a, is a shame that there wasn't much of it done. Mm-hmm. And the books, it, the whole, the books were full of it. Like I seemed like every every scene in the book was was centered around Quidditch somehow, and they just didn't even they they barely it was barely. Yeah, they, they probably were responding to people complaining like I did about there being too much Quidditch. <laughs> so what is it, Jeff? Too much Quidditch, not enough Quidditch. I'm sorry. Can we not get the perfect amount of Quidditch for your movie, Jeff? Is that the problem? <laughs> I feel like the time travel interweaving in this movie was a little clunky for me like really yeah in the in the so let me i'm trying to think how to say this so so in the book it was there but it was it was subtle 
where you didn't know what was going on until it until at the end, and then it all kind of made sense. It was like, okay, we're doing these things, and the, they they're never kind of twigged to anything weird is going on. And then at the end, you see, oh, these, there were all these little elements that got moved around or, mm-hmm. or shifted. And it was a single timeline, which I know is important to you for time travel purposes, Jeff. Right. It's one of the two appropriate approaches. Right. I and, don't and, want to looper this shit. <laughs> that's right. But in the movie, it felt forced, I guess. Like, they had little things where, for example, the, the one that struck me that, was, that kind of annoyed me is they're in the hut, right? Uh, Hagrid's hut. And... They're sitting there, and a rock hits this vase, and a rock hits Harry in the head, and they're like, "Oh well, nothing's wrong here. Let's keep going." But like, it's obvious they're trying to that the director's trying to say, "Oh, time travel's coming." You know, it seemed really forced. It didn't make much sense to me. Would that have been obvious if you didn't know that time travel was coming? If if I didn't know time travel was coming, that scene wouldn't make any sense at all. Yeah, it's supposed to not make sense at all the first time you watch it, right? No, well, okay. Yeah, it's supposed to, like rocks That's, come in the window, and but then they have to run away, so no, they, don't, that, they don't follow up on the rock thing. Right, but in the books, there's nothing like that where you're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Why would that happen, you know? I feel True. like the books did a smoother job of interspersing time travel into it, where this is like these like random elements forced in your face that don't, that don't make any sense. It, it feels like a disjointed story. Yeah, see, I, I, I'm the opposite. I felt like it was better in the movie than it was in the book. I felt like it was shot in a really tight way so that the, the scenes all looked correct from different perspectives and it was interesting to see the same scenes again. And I liked how there was more interaction between future Hermione and Harry and past Hermione and Harry and Ron because I, th- I just thought it was cool. It was neat. Yeah, I guess I, I, guess I didn't like that because it felt... Like, unnecess- like, I don't know, it sounds silly, but unnecessary risk. Like, if you're going, th- like, the way they did in the book is what you should do. You, like, sit back and you watch, and you intersperse where you need to. But in the movie, they're, like, just making these random decisions. Oh, I'm going to throw these things because that's what needs to happen. It, you know, like, it, it felt like it didn't, it didn't make a lot of sense. It was just, like, kind of a, a rushed thing. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, th- I see where they were going with it, but... Uh... But yeah, they didn't belabor it. It went by pretty quick. Which yeah. I'm okay with because it is such a weak plot, which J.K. Rowling later admitted. Yeah, wizard time travel. It was not a good idea. Yeah. Risky. Harry, in the in the movie, Harry is not discreet at all with his with his invisibility cloak. Like, yeah, not he, even a bit. Like. Nobody's supposed to know that he has this thing. He's just like plowing through people, knocking people down. Stealing I, Neville's lollipop? Yeah. yeah. He, like, he breaks in and it's like, oh, oh this is mine now. It's like, oh, they, move. they can't see me now, so there's no morality. <laughs> That's right. Steal shit from his friends. He beats someone up and then plows through sure. a bunch of people. Yeah, the lollipop thing surprised me because I thought he liked Neville, right? He I does like Neville. Neville. It's his friend. I mean, he's not his best friend, but he's still his friend. And he, he picks on. He specifically picks Neville, I'm sure, because no one will believe Neville that his lollipop up and walked away. Oh, my That's God. He's, true. like, gaslighting him. It's awful, you know? Wow. And, uh, Later, Neville's going to be like, and then my lollipop floated away like, Neville, come on. That doesn't make any sense, man. Yeah. He's going to be like, my grandmother only gives me pocket money for one lollipop a year. Oh. <laughs> there's a bit where there's some carolers in the street of Hogsmeade, and... They're carolers. He saw them. He runs straight in the middle of them and bowls them down like like bowling pins. Yeah, they knock them aside. That? So, that's such a dick move. <laughs> yeah. Would he have done that if he wasn't invisible? I don't think so. No, mm. when he's invisible, there's no consequences. <laughs> Harry Potter slowly loses his humanity the longer he's invisible. <laughs> <laughs> Harry spends a lot of time being invisible. That's right. He does. He started to sleep invisible. It's really dark. <laughs> 
here's one of my biggest complaints throughout the entire series of movies. They start to take away everything that's cool about Ron and they assign it to Hermione. So the mm. best example I can give from here, which always makes me mad, is um, you have this great scene in the books where Ron has been dragged to the stricken shack and his leg is broken um, and Sirius is there and Ron literally stands on his broken leg and says, you're going to have to get through me first. Yeah. They gave that to Hermione. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what, and it wasn't even that in the movie they made a especially big deal about his leg till later, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't clear how badly he was injured until much later when he's in the hospital, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, I wonder why they did that. It's an interesting yeah. choice. Well, the character trait I like most about Ron is that he's, he's very moral, you know? That's not right. This is right, you know? And, but not moral in the sense of following the rules, just moral in the sense of fairness and honesty. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the movies, he just sort of, he's a screaming person. He's like, oh no, you know. Yeah. yeah he's, well, he's a sidekick, right? Like he, he's the 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 comic relief in some ways, though mm-hmm. Neville yeah. is also, I suppose. Neville's L- more like so the sad sack. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he, he, he. Yeah, Hermione was the hero in this movie, though. Mm-hmm. That's all a great the time point. stuff that that solves all the problems. That was Hermione. Yeah. Every time that there's like an idea or or <laughs> someone getting punched in the face. <laughs> yeah, it's Hermione. I mean, yeah. that was true to the. True to the books, though. True, yeah. that is true. Apparently, she slapped the shit out of Tom Felton, the actor, for real, and felt really bad later oh, instead wow. of doing a stage slap or stage punch. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, there was a there was definitely a crunch that happened there. So, feel sorry for his little face. Yeah. yeah. They. I feel like they took a lot of the conflict, the interpersonal conflict, out of this movie too. It's something we in we talked about a lot in the books, or the conflict between. Uh, Harry and Ron and Hermione because of their the various elements, you know. Uh, there's the thing with Scabbers. There's the thing with the the Firebolt. And then there's the thing with um, Hermione's studies, like, kind of stressing her out. Like, all of that interpersonal conflict was completely stripped out of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, they had a... Maybe, I think there was one scene where they're bickering a little bit because Ron uh, thought that Crookshanks had eaten Scabbers. But the stakes of that squabble felt relatively low. It didn't feel like they weren't friends anymore. It just felt like they were a little annoyed with each other. I think I think you're right, Jeff, what you're alluding to. I think they were just... The movie makers could not figure out how to fit everything in. And that's mm-hmm. a very fair thing to say because it's, it's already two and a half hours, this movie, which is very long for a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, probably twice as long as you'd typically want to make a kid's movie. Um, and they still don't necessarily include everything. Yeah. But I'm not sure how you ever could make that decision right, you know? Mm. Don't make it a movie. Split it into two movies. Split it into two movies. Twice make it a the profits. Yeah. And then the second of those two movies, split that into two movies. And you just keep doing it forever. Infinite money. <laughs> That's right. So how does the movie stack up in the of the three we've seen? It might still be the best one, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that the previous two movies were all that great. I, I remember always feeling... That the movie up up until now, feeling that the movies were kind of mediocre. Yeah, I still agree they're mediocre. I think stylistically and tonally, this matches the series better. Um, but I don't think it was the best movie just because it is just all over the place. But then on the other hand, you also have the point that I think that this book, the time travel thing, is such a weak plot. I don't know how they could have done it better. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole lot of me saying I don't really have an answer to that. But you have to answer it. I have to, to answer you, it. You must. I must. I must answer it. Uh, I 
guess I would put it at the best so far, I guess. I don't know. I'm thinking, thinking back more and more on becoming more of a fan of the Chamber of Secrets than I was previously. Yeah? Really? Yeah. What about you, Jeff? Uh, I say second best after the first one. Because the first one had a lot of novelty. Yeah. And this one had less novelty. True. But this one had some of the best scenes we've had so far. The Bogart scene was really fantastic. I thought Gary Oldman scenes were all really good. And, uh, you know, the Snape was... I guess he was always pretty good, you know. Wasn't particularly standout good. Yeah. Here. Except when he was wearing his dress. Yes, when he was wearing the dress. Yeah, that Alan Rickman's cool. got a good sense of humor. That was <laughs> really fun. That was great. I, you know what? Now, now that I'm thinking about it, I will say uh, so a complaint I had over the, about the previous two movies is there was a lot of like unnecessary fluff stuff inserted. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like that was the case in this movie. I didn't. I didn't feel like it. It felt like clean editing. There was a lot of like jumping around that didn't feel like it. Feel, feel very coherent to me. And mm-hmm. That's something that kind of bugged me about it. But I don't feel like there were a lot of wasted scenes in this movie. And that's something I could not say about the previous two. Yeah, there aren't. But when you do see something that isn't advancing the plot, like, it stands out. Like, I thought that the Boggart scene, it was great, but it definitely took up a lot more time than was necessary to explain that particular plot point. So when they did do it, it really stood out. And I think that means that maybe there wasn't as much fluff. Yeah. That than we would have liked. Yeah, I, I think that was a good thing in this in this instance. I think that's good that they they didn't waste a lot of time. Like I'm trying to remember, there was the yeah, it was in, it was in the second movie where they're driving through the forest for like an unnecessarily long time, running into spiders, right? Yeah, right. And the whole scene where they're chasing the train with the car and okay, never mind. Uh, no, number two is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about the Kenneth Branagh parts. Those yeah, there were some very good parts, but but I, I remember the second movie being like frustrating to watch because there were these super long scenes that didn't seem like they served any purpose at all, mm-hmm. sort of being like a little slapstick thing. How does it stack up for you then? So I think this was the best one so far. Mm. Yeah. Um, despite my frustrations over it, it not having all the parts I would like in it, you know, and and I, I I guess I didn't care for the way they adapted some of the scenes, like the way they adapted the 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 Marauders map kind of subplot where it gets confiscated and you know I, I, I was annoyed yeah, they, that they rewrote a bunch of this thing they never explained Mooney Padfoot Worm Tongue and Prong nope which is a huge it's really integral to understanding yeah. that's plot. a great point yeah they never really like they never go much into their the, the four friends and mm-hmm. and their conflict with Snape which is pretty important to understanding why everyone behaves the way that they do mm-hmm. yeah I think if you'd watched the movie and you had not read the books, it would have been pretty bewildering. I was thinking that. Yeah, they're, they're skipping along so fast that I'm not sure this would make any sense. Yeah. yeah it, it feels like they were trying to include a bunch of touchstone scenes so you could be like, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened in the books. Mm-hmm. But, it, yeah, it, if I feel like if you're watching this movie without reading the books, it'd be difficult to follow. Yeah. And, yeah, there's a lot of like loose ends that don't make any sense without... The, the books is your your background. I wonder how many people see the movies without ever watching the without ever watching the books. <laughs> <laughs> Those books are really boring to watch. <laughs> <Just> sit there. <laughs> uh, I know this is your first time reading the books, Jeff. Do you remember? Do you recall if you saw this movie uh, before? I didn't see any them? of the movies. Okay, never mind. Then. I'd love to because I'm a grown up. 
<laughs> Not me, though. <laughs> well, I guess that's a season wrap on Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. We're going to be returning to our other podcast, The Dragon Reread. We're going to be reading book five, Lord of Chaos, in Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series. If you haven't checked out that podcast, please do so. You can find it at patreon.com slash club. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please drop us a line at hello at mwapodcast.com. Please, love to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> please share us with whomever you think will like us. Please give us good reviews. Please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash club because we are armadillos. Please like us in real life. We're super likable. Uh, you can also contact us through Twitter. I'm Alice Sullivan. That's at Alice M. Sullivan. I'm Jeff Lake. That's at Jeff underscore Lake. I still don't have one of those. <laughs> get one of those. Until next time, Finite, Finite Podcast. Podcast.